Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Maurice Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Lisa Lorette West. Thanks again, Lisa, for joining us, sitting in our guest host seat once again. Well, thank you. I am a licensed clinical social worker and happy to be here. Awesome. All right. We are lucky to have you. And coming up on the episode today... In honor of Pediatric Transplant Week, we take a deeper dive into one baby boy's legacy. And then in the mental health section, we're going to talk about mindfulness, what it is, and how to accomplish that. All that and more right here, The Gifted Life. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life Podcast, we are so excited to welcome back Melissa McQueen. Hey, Melissa. Hello, and thank you for having me back on. Yeah, she was on episode 158, uh, talked about her baby and her work with transplant families. So we're going to talk about a conference coming up and why that's so important. But Melissa, we're adding a very special guest to you, your family, and to us here at The Gifted Life. Who is that? I am so honored um, to have Sarah with us. She's the mom of Wyatt, and Wyatt is Dylan's donor. Um, and we're just so thankful um, for the Cottrells um, and their family, their family that they had the grace to say yes um, when everything was falling apart in their life. I will, I can never wrap my head around it. It's just um, such an altruistic and amazing thing. And Sarah knows I have the utmost respect for her and and love for her and her family. So on episode 158, you can hear about Dylan and all the wonderful milestones able to reach because of of Wyatt. Can you help us get to know Wyatt, Sarah? Yes, ma'am. Wyatt was uh, healthy, happy, uh, almost two. It had been two February 10th and accident happened in January Um, but uh, he was a full life energy. He was full throttle all the time. <laughs> Never stopped. <laughs> you know, one of those, you know, just he was all boy. Mm. What did he look Rough like? And tough. And he was a uh, blondish brown hair, blue eyes, beautiful blue eyes. Um, kind of a chunky, stocky, <laughs> looked like a linebacker to me. You know, point <laughs> I was thinking, you know, if he grew up, he'd be some type of, you know, stocky kid that, you yeah. know. Like to play rough. Uh, what was he into? He loved John Deere tractors. He of had course. a little tractor he drove <laughs> around. And he loved his papa and his, his grandparents all together. And just, it just enjoyed life. I've never seen anybody. On, it just like he soaked up every day like it was a miracle. Like a, and I don't want to say he knew what was going on, but, you know, mm-hmm. God has a plan. And it just seemed like he, every day he lived full of life. You know, he, um, he had febrile seizures when we, when he was started about a year old and then he had a lot of ear infections and stuff. But other than that, he was a perfectly normal, healthy kid that loved to eat and would eat your food too. Didn't matter who it was. He'd go up and have French fry with you. So, <laughs> Why will eat your food too? Yes, was exactly. You better be careful around him because he would eat it. <laughs> Didn't matter what it was. Did he like to be outdoors or? Yes. He loved to be outside. He would prefer to be outside versus inside. And I think that, you know, on the day of the accident, he was, you know, of course, outside and um, 
he just had the run of the place and just, you know, in and out, play football. He loved horses. He, you know, anything that our family was into, which was we grew up around team roping and barrel racing and calf roping and all that oh, type of yeah. stuff down here. So he, he was used to it and um, he just loved it. He loved being outside. Didn't matter what the temperature was. He wanted to be out there. Ah, did he have cowboy boots? I picture cowboy oh, boots, yes. jeans. <laughs> oh, yes. And they, they look just like his daddy's. Yeah. He, um, funny story. We um, went down to Austin, Texas to meet a friend and there's a, a ranch on the way down there called, it was called Wildfire Ranch at that time. And they had a um, boot store, like a Western store. And we stopped in and thought, oh, you know, he needs a new pair of boots. He's growing. So he went right in there, picked the pair of boots he wanted, and oh. took them to the lady. Oh. <laughs> and they were the exact same as the ones my husband wore. Oh. And they, they were just, it was amazing. The lady just fell in love with him, gave him a cap and everything. and Just, it was it was a special moment for our family, a little road trip that we didn't weren't intending on going on, but we took and he, he picked out his boots and that's what he wore. <laughs> oh, great memories. Great story. Yes. Oh. And, and you mentioned that he's a little miracle, you know, it's, it's, I kind of read a little bit of, a, of the backstory. I've got a similar type backstory of, mm-hmm. uh, of going through the, the process of, you know, fertility and things. So I, I yes. can imagine how spoiled he must have been throughout all this, right? Yes, yes, yes. Very spoiled, and that's even transfer. We we now have a little girl, but it's you know when you have one child, it's they get everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You're, you're just like, okay, you want that John Deere tractor to ride? Let's get that. Um, <laughs> you know, you want you know whatever you want, you get, and that's you know kind of feels like a pitfall on a parent. But on the other hand, you know, we uh, for example, we weren't going to get him. His last Christmas, um, we weren't going to buy this this little John Deere tractor for him. And we were like, you know what? We had a little bit of extra, and we were like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and get it. Um, and we did. And it was absolutely the best thing we ever did. We had gone to Colorado to celebrate Christmas, and it was so cold, of course, and snow. And we went, uh, my husband's family's up there, and she's a educator and coaches at uh, Creed in Creed, Colorado. And we took him to the gym to drive it around because we couldn't drive it outside. Mm-hmm. And he would just drive it in circles. Mm-hmm. And these girls would come up and ask to drive drive it with him. And he was like, no. <laughs> Not sharing this one. <laughs> Not. No, this is my ride. And he, we'd sit in the living room. He'd sit on it and fall asleep. And <laughs> it was everything to him. It was funny. Aww. Were you guys uh, knowledgeable about donation? Did you talk about donation as a as a family before the accident? You know, no, ma'am, we did not. We, um, and it's, I think I was thinking about that earlier and I think it's, you know, with adults, it's something that we consider before it, you know, it even, it even happens because I don't want to say that we're expected to not live. <laughs> that sounds bad, but you know, there's always a possibility. And with that possibility, you, you know, you need to make that choice and it's better for you to make it rather than your family, you know, because they would, you know, they know your wishes, but yeah, it's, it was something that we never thought about, um, until it happened until we were faced with that decision to make. Can you walk us through, um, that day and only yes, share what you're, what you're comfortable sharing? Yes, ma'am. We, um, it was a Sunday afternoon and, um, I'd gone to the grocery store and my husband was at home with Wyatt and my brother and they were building a well house. So where we lived, it was on 15 acres. And um, 
the front property was my husband's uncle and we shared a, a joint driveway on one side and there was a barn with horses in between us and we walked that road every day to visit family and come back up and it was just a normal everyday thing well as my husband and my brother were building the wall house Wyatt had been laid down for a nap and woke up and you know he was had chicken nuggets and stuff inside and mm. they had left the door open because it was january in texas and it was like 80 degrees mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so he was running inside grabbing a chicken nugget and come back outside and take his little hammer and my husband put a nail in and he would nail that little nail in with his plastic hammer mm. and go back and get another chicken nugget because it was food mm. and come back and then um from what my husband says is it's they started looking for him and they couldn't find him and so the first thing he did was went to our barn which was like 50 feet from our house you know 75 feet and um started yelling couldn't find him and then as they turned to come back down the driveway which the driveway is about 250 yards long and you're screaming down at the other barn and um there was a my husband's uncle's aunt uh, uncle's wife sorry was the equine dentist and they had about five horses tied up along the fence line in the barn and the gate had been left open and Wyatt had wandered down there and that, that split a second and walked between the first horse that was tied up in the fence and spooked the horse first horse then the first horse basically pawed him on top of the head you know cracking his skull like a, like a little egg and um mm. everybody that was there did cpr suction kept him going as much as they could and then um they called me and said, you know, accident. And I was like, oh, what do you do? Did he break his arm? Oh. You know, I'm thinking, little boy, you know. Right, right. He, what did he do? Stitches? Where are we going here? And um, the voice on the other line told me, um, no, he's bleeding from his mouth and his ears. And I was in law enforcement. So at that point, I was like, oh, God. So I was already on my way home and floored it and got home. And saw him laying there and went up to him and um, kissed him and told him I loved him and the MS worker told me that we needed to get to Cook's. And so we went to Cook's and of course they met us there. They flew in there. We got there. It all starts getting kind of cloudy. You know, when you're going through something like this, your adrenaline kicks in and you don't know, you know, that the time frame is kind of sh- shady for me. Mm-hmm. I know that's crazy, but to this day, I don't try to focus on the time frame. Mm-hmm. So um, it was about 24, 48 hours, of course. And um, the first brain death study was very minimal function, you know, that type of stuff. And at that time, you know, all your family could be at the hospital. So we had a room full of family and our family was very active in the decisions we made for support. And um, we went on another, I think it was another 12 hours and they did another study and was conclusive that there was no brain function and um, that basically if Wyatt was to live, he would live with a B trach and Bennett and, uh, and, you know, G button and all that stuff and would never be a normal little boy ever again. He would never be able to run and play and do the stuff that he mm-hmm. was put on the earth to do, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, so at that time, the option of life gift was presented to us by, a doctor and um it was kind of you know one of those things that they had mentioned it before but it wasn't like you know this is where we're going now right, right. you know and my husband and I had the family had gone and we're in another room and he and I were talking and um 
I was like, you know, I really feel strongly about this. I've never thought about it before. It's not something that you want to think about as having a child, you know, you never want to lose your child. And I was like, the only thing that keeps popping up in my head is if the shoe was on the other foot, if I was sitting like in the McQueen's position and all I was waiting on was something like this, a gift, save my baby. What, you know, I would be hoping and praying that someone would see it in their heart that mm. they could make this decision, even though it was a very tough and very hard decision. And, but it was a decision that I felt in my heart that I, it, it was one that I don't want to say helped the process, but it was one that I felt like why it's passing was not, I don't know if this is the right word to use in vain mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. you know, something that was so tragic and so bad, we could help somebody else mm -hmm. in that situation. And that's what we looked at. And I just kept saying to myself, you know, if I was in that position, I would pray that somebody would come along. And my husband and I prayed about it. And we decided that that was the best choice for he and I. And um, so we had gone back in with a doctor and the family and he presented it to the family. And of course, our family, you know, thought we were crazy a little bit <laughs> mm. just because it's the decision, you know, and nobody can fathom making that decision at that right. point. And um, we told them what we were going to do. And there was some, you know, questions about, you know, the doctor was like, the, actually, it was my dad was like, have you ever been wrong? Talked into the doctor. The doctor was like, I've never been more right about a situation. Mm. And, you know. And at that point, we decided that, you know, we were going to do life gift and everything was donated except his eyes. <laughs> and um, it took us about, I think it was 18 hours to come off all the drips and everything and get him stabilized to where he could be um, to go back to life gift, I guess would be the correct word to say mm. at that point. So it was really a choice that I think a lot of people were scared to make. As parents, when I'm, I deal, when I work, I work in the PICU right now where we lost Wyatt at, and we deal with it a lot. And I think it's hard for parents to make that decision, but I think if they could step back in that moment and realize how much good could come from it, and that they have a choice to help somebody else, and to realize that if the, the roles were reversed, out of something so tragic, becomes come something so amazing like Dylan and the McQueens, we've been so blessed to meet them and to watch him grow up. And, and that was one of the hardest things was, I mean, you know, after you do life gift and Melissa contacted us exactly in a year through life gift and the bad part about it, we weren't really ready to talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know that right. sounds crazy, but no, no it's, it's not we, crazy. That's normal. perfectly. Okay. And, and I think that what we were so afraid of is that, what if something happened? You know, what mm -hmm. if he, he, you know, something was going on with him and the heart, heartbreak for them and us, I know more for them, but we didn't want to see that heartbreak. We wanted everything to just be okay. So we waited longer than we should have <laughs> and finally got to the point where, cause I read the letter and I told my husband, I said, I have a letter. I said, when you're ready to read it, you let me know. So I kept it in the drawer 
And it actually took, I think, what it, what it eight years, Melissa? Oh, wow. <laughs> Something like that. So, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, it was, it's crazy because when I reached out, it was like uh, when it March donation month to Life Gift to go through them to try to get in touch with Melissa. Um, I waited a month and didn't hear anything. And then I called him back and I like, oh, it's been really busy with donations. And then I waited another month and didn't hear anything. And then we kind of let it go for a month or two and we were sitting there in August and I was like, it was like, I really would like to, you know, I want to read the letter and I want to know about the family. And I said, okay. So I went and found the letter and had a little picture of Dylan in it and still had no contact with the life gift because it kind of, Melissa and their family moved back to Arizona. So when all the transfer and everything, the transfer of doctors and all that stuff, things kind of got shoveled around and we lost them. So I did some Facebook stalking <laughs> and some <laughs> internet stalking. The best I'm sure she thought yes. I was crazy. Um, but I typed in one day, I was just typed in um, Heart Recipients Arizona. And I can't remember, I think it was the UNOS page. Melissa, was it UNOS or it, whatever page it was, it had the picture of Dylan that she had sent us. Oh, you remember yeah. what that was, Melissa? It was. It was a Children's Organ Transplant Association. So me being detective, I had <laughs> that in and his name came up with the same picture she sent us. So wow. I contacted her through Facebook on a oh, Saturday. That's crazy said, I know you're going to think I'm really crazy and this is so weird and out of place for us to do anything like this, but by chance, are you the family received our son's heart? And she answered back and was like, um, I believe she said, I think I, we are, and we need to go through life gift, you know, in a, a polite way. She's like, I want to do this the right <laughs> way. Sure, and I was like, of yeah. course. Yeah. I was like, of course. I said, I just have been trying to get a hold of y'all and it hadn't worked out. And then talking to life gift again they were like yeah they transferred from children's dallas to arizona and some things got crossed and we kind of lost them <laughs> so and i don't think people expect that when you have a transfer or a transplant like that you know everything went seemed to go so well with him they were gone in three months and back to arizona trying to start their life back up a new life a new normal for him so that's kind of the long short of it. I'm sorry that took so long. No, but that's okay. Oh, you did such a beautiful job. Yeah. I have the chills here. I was. Story. I went through it with you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a amazing time. I mean, God really has blessed us in our life, and we thank Him every day and the strength to make that decision on that day. I've never regretted it. You talked about you know early on in the conversation how you you know time frames and everything was like a fog, right? But yes. but you yes. clearly had such strength, compassion, clarity, you know, to, to have to make those tough decisions and, and, you know, knowing that if you were on that end, you know, that what would you want the other family to say? And that's that's uh, definitely a, a kudos to, to, you know, the character that you are and your family is. And, and of course, you know, from our standpoint, we encourage as often as we can for for donor families and and recipients to meet because of what we see it brings to them. Of course, we love being a part of that too, right? You know, because it's for, from our perspective, it's it's one of the most amazing things that we can ever be a part of. So. I'll start by saying there's no wrong way for you guys to meet. <laughs> the fact that you guys did it, look, it, it you know, 
it's it's supposed to be on your timeline. It's there's no life gift or lopa or anyone else that that has any real say in what time frames that you guys should be meeting. It's whenever you, it's right for you, you know, both of you, and and uh, you know that that time frame, that eight years, and and you guys are ready, or you are ready, uh, Sarah. You know, at that point, uh, that's 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 what was meant to be. And I'm curious to know. So tell us, walk us through that meeting because it's such. Like I said, it gives me the chills thinking about you guys meeting. Tell us a little bit about that meeting and how that went. Melissa, do you want to start with this one? I will. Um, okay. No, it was great. We got the call um, from Sarah, like she said, and I'll just take the baton from there. Um, mm-hmm. We were finishing up at the transplant games in um, Utah in Salt Lake in 2018. And um, that's when we got the call. So I was super excited. A few months later, um, we had gotten a call that um, Children's Medical Center in Dallas was having their 30th um, anniversary and was going to have a reunion of some of the clinicians that had worked there and had left to other centers, they were coming back. And I said, oh my gosh, I get to go back to Dallas. I'm like, wouldn't it be neat to bring Dylan and to meet Sarah and Koi and their family and to just, you know, like just make that connection, that really meaningful connection. So I went to my husband and I said, this is what I want for my birthday. I need two oh. plane oh. tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, okay, you got it. So he bought a uh, beans on plane tickets and got us a broom out there. And uh, we went and we got pictures of him with um, his ICU nurse and his surgeon and his, um, his nurse coordinator and his whole team. And it was amazing. And right before that, we got to meet with Sarah and um, we had the most lovely time. Um, I met with her first because we wanted to meet mom to mom first. And um, I, I have to say, I'm kind of biased. I think we did it the right way. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we met first. And then a couple of days later, after um, the big party at uh, Children's, we um, decided to have the families meet. So uh, we went, uh, there's a nice big um, Christmas thing they do at the Gaylord with a big ice um, you know, celebration um, in Dallas. And so we went down there and took the kids and um, her daughter and Dylan got to meet. And um, we brought a Build-A-Bear with um, a recording of uh, Dylan and Wyatt's heart and um, so that we could give it to, to her daughter and um, just um, share that with them. And uh, she gave me the most beautiful necklace, which I wear to Every single volunteer event that I go to that has anything to do with transplant. So now I'm on the board of directors for UNOS and I wear it to every meeting um, because it's my reminder of why I'm there. Um, It's, I, yeah. Sorry, that was long-winded too. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, I have literally, I have goosebumps. And right. for as long as I've been doing this, um, and this is Lisa, by the way, uh, I'm, you'd think you would stop getting amazed at the strength of the human spirit, but it just is amazing to see families, especially of children, make those decisions in such difficult times. It just... You know, remind you there's still some good left in this world. It sure does. And then, Sarah, to know that Melissa is part of this great world where she's trying to make it even better for folks who walked their walk. And so in Wyatt's honor, she is helping and holding the family's hands um, that are that are walking through that. Like, what a, what a legacy uh, for Wyatt. Melissa, we want to talk about transplant families and this pediatric conference 
that's coming up? We are so fortunate. Um, and again, Wyatt's doing amazing work through both me and Sarah, um, just the things that we've been able to accomplish. Um, I um, started Transplant Families, and again, that was on a previous episode, but um, as one of the amazing things that we get to do is have a conference at the um, end of National Pediatric Transplant Week, which marks the end of Donate Life Month, which of course is April. So it's the last week of April. And um, during those three days, it's a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, April 28th through 30th, we have a conference for um, caregivers and recipients and the whole family. So it's um, informational and it gives families a chance to connect, to hear um, different presentations on questions they may be having or um, uh, and to connect, you know, and just learn about things that you don't have time to ask in a regular uh, appointment. You know, those appointments go by pretty quick, the clinic appointments do. And uh, these are things you don't get to ask about. So this is kind of a forum for that. We like to celebrate the community, uh, the recipient community, the donor community, the um, and all of those who support us, the medical staff, and it, we're just all a right, a real big family. Um, so this year we are planning already, and we have such exciting sessions coming up. Uh, we're highlighting um, quality improvement organizations uh, for hearts, liver, and um, kidney, and it's just been amazing. Um, what the things that we're talking about that are potentially going to be topics. Um, everything from stem cells to xenotransplantation to like uh, to rejection to um, you know side effects of medicines and what that means. And then um, after all of that, um, the next day we have a psychosocial day, and we talk about how this affects the family. That whole journey of you know being in the hospital long term, um, you know what that looks like for the first year afterwards. Uh, we're lucky enough to have. Michael Kutcher come to speak. Um, you might know him. Uh, his, his twin is Ashton Kutcher, <laughs> and he's a heart transplant recipient himself. Yeah, and He'll he was actually uh, on the Gifted Life, too. That's episode 103, if you want to listen back. And Melissa, I know you talked about yours. Yours is episode 158. So great material, great learning tools for all of us, too. Thank you so much. So that's that. And then the last day is a kid's day. Um, so we're just fortunate to have just an, the entire family involved. Uh, I'll bring up one more thing about this. We were so excited last year and hope for it again this year. Um, National Pediatric Transplant Week was kind of a brainchild of uh, myself and Joseph, who was with me on the um, previous episode that was just mentioned, along with Donate Life. Um, we talked to leadership there. We got it instantiated like four years ago. And last year, it was included on the president's proclamation for April. So um, such an amazing time to, um, again, celebrate this community acts like, um, you know, the Cottrell's, you know, like being there, telling their story, um, letting parents know she's, she's there with them, you know, when they're in their worst hour, she knows and has that empathy that uh, I don't think anyone else could have. Um, I mean, what a blessing um, to have Sarah in your corner um, when you're in the hospital like that. I can't imagine anything better. And I will continue to serve in Wyatt's honor, um, and I'm just honored to do so. That pediatric transplant conference is scheduled for April 28th through the 30th, so coming up. And um, you can learn more. Is it transplantfamilies.org, Melissa? Correct. So transplantfamilies.org if you'd like more information. So, Sarah, were you familiar with her work and, and your thoughts on, on Wyatt's legacy? I had not been until, of course, meeting them and everything, and it is I share our story with nearly every nurse I meet in our unit. Um, and even 
actually the main reason I, I came back and I went to nursing school and everything is because of the situation I'd gone through with Wyatt and um, I chose to come back to the PICU where we were at and actually our nurse that we had had that night was actually still worked with me still works with me um, but it they the queens are such amazing people and Melissa is a godsend and she does so much for transplants and all of the stuff that that they're going through it amazes me how she has the strength to do what she does because her going through what she went through is just as bad as going through what I went through I feel like because you know they at eight months they you know until he was eight months old, they had hospital visits, hospital visits. They they didn't know what was going to happen or how things were going to play out or anything like that. And that's that's such a roller coaster of emotions and everything for a family to go through that she, her strength, I don't know that she realizes how strong she is either. Thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. <laughs> oh, we Thank sit you. in awe of both of you. Sarah, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for sharing Wyatt, not only with with Dylan, but uh, with all of us as as well. We're all learning. We say this is a this podcast is a tool to help others, and you just did a beautiful job of explaining the gift of life. Thank you, Melissa. Keep up the good work. We'll be watching what comes out <laughs> of the transplant conference. And thanks for all you do. Thank you for all you do and spreading the good word. Thank you for having us. Thanks ladies for teaming up here on The Gifted Life. Here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Lisa, I see something about mindfulness. What Being you got mindful for us right there? now. Yes. <laughs> mindfulness, something that we hear a lot of these days. It's one of those new um, pop things, I suppose. But actually, mindfulness is actually over 2,500 years old. The concept of mindfulness started back um, about two and a half thousand years ago. Um, from the Buddhist, although many other religions have um, encouraged mindfulness in different forms. So sometimes when we start talking about mindfulness, it is just becoming of aware of what is happening in the here and now. Um, and just simply being in a state of acting open attention to what's presently happening. Um, some say when you're trying to describe it, it's easier to say what it's not rather than what it is. Um, so it's not about making mistakes because of carelessness or inattention. It's not about using drugs or alcohol for distraction to ease negative feelings. It's not about failing to notice your feelings of discomfort, stress. It's not about being overly preoccupied about the future plans. It's not about getting lost in your own thoughts and feelings, but it really is just more about being aware and <clears throat> taking in what is actually happening at the moment. Can I be mindful and have a sip of wine? <laughs> well, 
Yes, I guess you can. <laughs> oh, you have approval. Might not be the, the healthiest way, but you can it's, you can do it. I guess it's it's all about heart health right here. It's, yeah, it's, it's a system. Okay, right, right, right. <laughs> I tell myself at least. And all you need to do though is start with an open mind and perhaps ten to fifteen minutes a day. So we're going to talk about something called mindful moments. Some things you can do throughout the day to help learn how to be more mindful and more intentional with your actions. Um, You can make these things be regular activities every day. So when you wake up in the morning, for example, instead of just hopping out of bed and get going. I don't just just hop out of bed. I snooze like four times. (laughs) So when you do that, you take a minute, a few minutes, just to notice how you feel when you wake up. Okay. That's, just, that's her snooze between <laughs> one and two snooze. <laughs> right. So you just really just take a minute and what's the sensations? What are your thoughts and feelings? Not judging. It's not about judging whether it's good or bad. Just being aware of how you feel when you wake up. The sheets on your body, you know, how you feel mentally and emotionally, physically. What do you smell? What Do you, what, do you have any taste? Another thing is when you go to have a meal or a snack, Set, a, set aside some time to just look at what you're eating. Um, we try to choose a variety of healthy, nutritious foods. But as you eat, notice the taste and smell of your food. I, I find I oftentimes don't do this. You know, you're, you're busy throughout the day. You just fix something, rush. sit and eat, and yeah. just yeah. chew it and swallow it. I don't even sit and eat. I stand, stand you know, at my sometimes, countertop. Sometimes yes. that happens. It's, Almost it, every time I eat, I just hurry, and, all right, get my stuff done. <clears throat> I'm eating while I'm so taking I'm care of something So I'm going to challenge you, else. Joey, to start being a little mindful with your meals. Sit. Look at your food, what colors, and then chew slowly and just take some pleasure in experiencing it. You know, we say we love food and especially here in South Louisiana, oh, everything evolves say. around food. <laughs> but and we you know what we're chatting and talking and maybe having that sip of wine. So just take some time to really just notice the smell of your food, how it looks and how it tastes. You know, I have a friend who always points out how fast I eat. She said, I still have a whole meal here. And I was like, girl, I mean business. It's time. Yes. <laughs> I just noticed that as we had our lunch earlier. <laughs> For Joey, right? No. Yeah. Um, and then pay attention. When you meet somebody, I'm terrible about remembering people's names. Mm-hmm. I get introduced me to people. Too. And I remember people's faces from way back. But, oh, please don't hold me to their name because I'm terrible about that. But pay attention. Listen to what these people are saying. Um, and then repeat their name in your head. Aim to develop a habit of understanding others and delaying your judgments and criticism about them. So just just take in the conversation without trying to make any conclusions to it. Take breaks in the middle of the day. Um, take a walk. Um, just stretch um, and observe how your body feels, what's your energy level like. So you just take a little 10-minute walk and then just be present and mindful of the walk, you know, your feet hitting the pavement, or those kinds of things. So just being mindful and just living intentional. Um, notice five things around you when you take a break. You don't even have to get up. But instead of getting caught up in your own thoughts and feelings, pause for a moment. Um, notice five things you can see. Just look around and I see this. And just be in that. 
Um, listen, what are five things can you hear? What are, what are five things you're hearing at that moment? Um, and then it, are there smells? Are there five different things you can smell? But do the five things, five feelings in your body. Um, you know, your, your hand sitting on the table or whatever it might be. Notice five things. Um, and then uh, one other thing is you can stop in the middle of the day and take some deep breaths. Um, throughout the day, pause and take those moments for those 10 slow, deep breaths. And while you're doing that, focus on your actual breathing. Feel the air going into your lungs. Um, breathe using your diaphragm. And so it's really just all about being aware of your actions and being conscious of what's going around you without, though, again, getting caught up in all the thoughts. I need to do more. It's so fast-paced. And so you're right to take time to, to do that. But if you have a free minute, I'm going to check my, my work email over here mm -hmm. while I'm doing this. I'm yes. going to knock these two tasks out. And I'll yeah. tell you, when you practice these things, it really does become a really natural habit. Um, several years ago, I would do um, teach to cardiac patients um, progressive meditation, where you start with your toes, and it's a it's a twenty ish minute exercise um, where you tense and then release, tense and release all the body parts, starting at the toes all the way up. And I would find my and I did it very often because I taught these patients, and I would find myself when I would be just feel like I was running from one department to the next, I would literally just stop in the hallway, get to the side, and I would just like squeeze my fist and then release them. And then the whole relaxation sensation of the body went through with just that one little habit because your mind and body is trained to those things. So it takes practice. Mindfulness is going to reduce your stress along with um, reducing anxiety and depression. Um, it's going to, it's going to, decrease your worry. You're not going to get caught up in your feelings and worry. It's going to improve your concentration and your mental clarity. You'll be able to focus more when you're doing things if you're if you're taking these moments of mindfulness. Um, it can decrease emotional reactivity. So um, I know in a previous episode we talked about stopping and thinking before you speak. These kinds of things will help with that as well. It increases your relationship satisfaction, um, and it just begins to enhance your self-insight. So even though we hear a lot about mindfulness these days, um, let's remember it is old, and it's continued to be um, solid. something that's, yeah, very solid and helpful for us. And so I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to try to begin some of these little practices. Again, they take very, very few minutes of your day and have many wonderful benefits. I'm going to try to do that, especially for like sitting down to eat because mm -hmm. I go really fast. Yep. <laughs> or See? I'm doing two tasks while I'm doing it. And yeah. that's great, Laura. You pick one thing and you start with that. And then, you know, maybe after a month of yeah. doing that, you add another thing. I'll get overwhelmed if we add too many of yeah. them. <laughs> one, it's but one good. little step at a time. And then don't ever be too hard on yourself if you mess up one day and you do eat too fast through your lunch. Know that you have supper to do that too do it with. All right. Good tips. You have a topic you want us to cover? All you have to do is email us info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, are organs harder to match or find for children? 
Joe? So a couple things. First, it is obviously a little more challenging uh, to to have the right match for, for kids, especially from a size perspective. Size makes an impact whether you're a kid or an adult, but yeah, as we all know, kids are so many different sizes, right? And and so that adds a layer, of course. More adults pass away, as we all know, uh, so there's a lot more uh, opportunity for uh, getting a transplant as an adult. Um, but to combat that, so, so UNO's policy, the way we match organs, is different for, for pediatrics. It's different for kids. So it's a lot broader sharing off the, the bat, like from the jump, at the beginning, you know, the, the, uh, the circles are much larger when we're allocating uh, a heart, for instance, or lungs or liver, uh, instead of, so adults, you'll see uh, within 250 to 500 you know, nautical miles, most of our adult organs are placed. Well, that's not always the same thing, you know, with kids. It's usually five, 500 to 1,000. Uh, and, and that's because, you know, multiple things. There's not as many pediatric transplant centers to begin with, you know, but it allows us to be able to, to you know, share outside of that close, you know, geographical area uh, that we're in. So I think, you know, it is more of a challenge, but I think the, the allocation differences that allow for broader sharing, that, that way if the sickest but best matches in Washington State, You'll see that a lot more often with with kids, even if it's a, it's a it's a heart or or lungs, especially because they're good organs. You know, we're not talking about some marginal organs to begin with, so they can go a little further out from a geographical standpoint. All right, great question. Yes, and if you have a question, give us a call 504 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Nicholas Lewis. And we learn about Nicholas from his family. They actually created a quilt square and these special touches, y'all. So amazing. Um, all these special touches went into making a special memorial for him. Uh, you can see it at lopa.org quilts. It was actually uh, on our very first quilt. So I'll share with you a little bit of what his family shared with us. This square was made in memory of Nicholas from those closest to him whom he left behind. The central butterfly fabric is for Ashley, his girlfriend. The other four fabric strips are for his three brothers and sister, Tim, David, Jacob, and Emily. The buttons represent his parents, Lisa and Jack. The fish represents his Aunt Diane, his godmother, whose earring it once was and the water activities he loved. He could identify any fish and was the best scuba diving buddy. The red button represents how much we love him. The cross-stitched strip comes from one of his baby outfits. We are happy to have been able to share the gift of life through Lopa, but our loss of Nicholas still leaves us with overwhelming sadness. We keep his love in our hearts and pray that someday we'll hug him again. May he rest in peace. Now let's pause and say thank you to Nicholas for the gift of life. And that is going to do it for episode 185 of The Gifted Life. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can always register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor anytime. Registerme.org.
Yes, huge thank you to Melissa McQueen and Sarah Cottrell for coming on. Of course, Sarah, for for sharing Wyatt. What a beautiful, beautiful boy. Beautiful job. Beautiful life. It's short life, but it's amazing. All Everything she said, you can... You can just feel mm. it and see it, you know, see him as she's describing. She what did a such a great job. Yeah, and the legacy that Wyatt left, not only for Dylan, but for also the inspiration that it provided for Melissa McQueen to become one of the co-founders of Transplant Families and and help others to, uh, to go through those pediatric transplant lives, all the challenges that they have to go through, you know, to help those, you know, it, it, better than what they may have had if, if uh, you know, if they weren't there. So transplantfamilies.org is that website, a great group and, and can't wait to see what they've got on uh, the docket next. Yeah, we appreciate them sharing yeah, their story with us. Beautiful story, left me speechless. The best place to find us, guys, at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. So listen here and find links to listen on Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcast, please give us a five-star rating because it really helps others find the podcast. If you're on social media, we know you are. Like our page on Facebook, please, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for listening. Remember to spread the word about the Gifted Life guys, and we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Have a good one. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele and Joey Boudreau. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 